Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to the book of Luke? We're going to look at chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Isn't the Bible great? God is so smart. Did you know that God invented math? Did you know that God invented law and lawyers and judges? Did you know he invented hygiene? Did you know he invented all creative things like music and art and all those beautiful things we like to see? But he also invented the hard work grit of the trash collector that does a great job. And that's important. And as we come here, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And I want to tell you this. The church is you. It's the people of God or the church. And God has not called us to leave the difficulties of the week behind when we come into his presence. God has not called you to put everything right at that door, right there, and change into a new person as you come out into the meeting. God has not called you to put on a face to be different or to hide things or to pretend that you're okay or to pretend that you're doing worse than you're doing. Maybe sometimes that happens too. People walk in and they want to try to be extra humble instead of actually celebrating that they got a promotion this week. You know, the Bible tells us that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. The body comes together. And you know what God cares about? People. And he cares about you and your work that you do. Whether you are working in IT stuff with things that you can't see, digital things you can't touch exactly, or whether you're farming and you get to actually see your crops. Did you know that when people used to bring their tithes, they would often bring their tithes? And so if you were a shepherd, what would you bring? Sheep. Could you imagine how that would smell in church? Because people were bringing livestock to the meeting. People were bringing bushels of all kind of produce to the meeting. Did you know then that you could tell if your farmer buddy had a good year or a bad year? Because the Lord makes crops grow. So you could tell, uh-oh, he's only got three sheep. What happened? And you could say, but what happened? Oh, man, the wolves is here. So bad. I had the shepherd guy ran away. I don't know. Whatever it is. Right? Or if there was a drought, who knows, whatever. My point being that, in saying that is, God never intended us to separate out your personhood at the door of the church. He intended for you to bring your work to him and say, Lord, I did this for you, whether it's one sheep or one million sheep or whatever, and say, this is yours. And so whatever you're bringing to the meeting today, don't check out and say, oh, those, those things, God doesn't want to know my troubles at work. God doesn't want to know the things I've dealt with the last six days. I just need to be this today, and he'll bless me. That's not from the Bible. In fact, the truth is, we bring all of ourselves, all of our work, all of our offering, all of our cares, and we cast it upon him because he cares for us. We give him our everything. We give him our work. We give him our frustrations. We give him all of it, and we say, Lord, at the end of the day, you be glorified. And what tends to happen is the selfish things in our heart, which are there, in my heart that are there, the Lord shines a big light on. And then you sit there in church and you're like, uh-oh. And it's all there because the Lord is in the business of sanctifying you and changing you and making you look more like Jesus and changing your thoughts to be like his thoughts and aligning your heart to be like his heart. And all of a sudden, all those things at work that you're bringing to him start to pale away and you find yourself praying for other things. Why does that, why does that happen? It doesn't happen because you forget about work 
Because guess what? We're going back there tomorrow. Isn't that a bummer? <laughs> Man, wouldn't it be great if we were all on family camp vacation right now? It would be awesome. But we're going back to work tomorrow. And guess what? We honor God with that and with good attitudes and with everything. And we don't just get fed and built up now so we can make it through the work, work week. Instead, we come in and say, Lord, I'm me. And here I am. And today, as we look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus, who's God, the fully incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God who created the world, who spoke creation into existence, God himself, who's become a man, is going to call his first disciples. And they're working. And it's not been a good day. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 5. Uh, real quick, just for, by way of context, before we read this, excuse me, Jesus has started his ministry. We've been in the book of Luke here for a little bit. He has been baptized. He's tempted by the devil. He comes out. He's casting out a bunch of demons. He's doing great work. He's healing people. People are seeking him out because they see that he's a prophet, that he is called by God to do all kinds of things. They don't realize yet that he's the Messiah. And he is teaching the people. What is he teaching the people about? Mostly the kingdom of God. And so he's telling them, this is what the kingdom is like. And guess what? He's the king, and they don't know it yet. And he's ushering in his era of kingdom excellence in the world. He's showing them how the law applies to their lives in ways that they've never realized because they're supposed to embrace the whole law of God, the word of God, in their whole hearts and not just sort of do parts of it. And so God is challenging the people. And Jesus is obedient to the Father in all he does. And he's preaching in the synagogue, and then we come to Luke chapter 5, and here's what it says. Verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, called the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put him out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So just a quick aside here. When Jesus sits down, this was the usual position of teaching. So a professor, a rabbi, a teacher, um, somebody who is known to be a teacher, wouldn't usually stand behind a pulpit and have lights on them in this time period. If they're going to teach the people, they do so from a seated position. That position is the position of authority. And the boat works well because now the people can't get so close, no one can see. So you stand on the shore, and they can, everybody can see him in the boat. And he's teaching. So everybody get that picture in your mind of the boat. Uh, whose boat is it? Simon's boat. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But by your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And when they came, they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Praise the Lord for his word. Who is this guy, Simon? He's a small business owner. And he's got two partners, James and John, they're brothers. Have you ever been partners with brothers? <sighs> That's difficult. Two against one. Simon must be a pretty influential guy because he's taking on these two guys. And they're the ones that are named sons of Zebedee. Zebedee's a zealot. He is, you know, that the 4th of July, there's that guy who wears like, like American flag suit, American flag hat, giant belt buckle, and he comes in with pistols. Like that guy who's like all about America and he's just shooting off fireworks as he walks down the street. That's Zebedee. Zebedee is a zealot. He is all about Israel and getting Israel away from Rome, and he is a political activist. <coughs> Excuse me. And his two sons, James and John, are partners with Simon. And it says in here that they are on the shore washing their nets. And Jesus sees the boats. So what is Jesus doing? He's walking around. The crowds are pressing in on him. Why do you think they're pressing in on him? They want something from him. Now, this is Jesus who's been casting out demons. Everybody who's brought to him, the word says, has been healed. So surely his fame has gone. People know and people are coming and they're pressing in. Have you ever been like at a Cardinals game or a Blues game and people are pressing in? You know, like the, the fries just came out of the fryer and the whole crowd's like, oh, give me some before they get gross. Like everybody's pressing in. That's, that's a weird feeling. And so Jesus, uh, remember, he's fully man and fully God. And he is not letting the whole crowd press in on him. Maybe he's uncomfortable by that. Do you have room for Jesus to be not liking everybody touching him all the time? And so what does he do? He sees a boat. He says, oh, this is great because boats are awesome. And he's like, I'm going to get on the boat. So he grabs Simon, sees the guys mending their nets, washing their nets. He says, hey, I'm going to jump on the boat with you. And so Simon, the guys take him out on the boat. Now, Simon is listening to Jesus. So he's there with him. It does not say that the boat comes back to the shore and drops off Jesus or picks anybody up. So the people on the boat, and now picture not a giant boat, but a boat that's kind of shallow because it's a fisherman boat. And this time they're not using uh, rods and reels. Some of you are experts at those. I'm a terrible fisherman, so I would need this method. And the method they do is they just take a net and just cast it out. So that net goes flying out over a broad area and then they grab the ropes and pull it in, and the net kind of scoops up whatever's there. That's how they get the fish. But we hear when Jesus tells Simon, go out into the deeper part and let down your net. What does Simon say? He says, we, we worked all night. So this guy, Simon, when Jesus sees him, is washing his nets, not because they had a great catch, not because they're doing well, but because his small business had a day of total unfruitfulness. And all night they worked. Have you ever had an all night work? Not since you were 22? <laughs> Past age 22, some of you don't know that yet, but man, you think I'll be fine. And you're not fine. It does not go well. But Peter, James, and John, these partners, with two boats, they're doing pretty good. You know, in this time period, if you're not a Roman citizen, it's hard for you to own property. If you're not a Roman citizen, not a lot of great things happen. And we know from the biblical record, these guys are not, they are not Roman citizens. In fact, their dad is the Fourth of July zealot guy who's probably on a watch list. And so 
for them to have two boats and probably employees is a big deal because these fish are not just feeding themselves, they're feeding their employees, some of us know that pressure, but also the people in the community are second class citizens. There's a lot of poor people. There's a lot of people that need help. And if you don't bring in any fish at all, it's not gonna go great. Also, um, there's a big difference between going to the well-known, really fun fishing area in Lake of the Ozarks where there's lots of big stuff and boat rentals everywhere and tons of fun people and the little hole in the wall one that's like kind of sinking on the dock. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been to one of those places to get bait? It's not so great. What kind of people live around that? I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying, have you, have you met like lake people? Like really lake people? You know what I'm talking about? I lived in Louisiana in the swamp. I met some. One day, I went to a house. I was driving past a house, and I saw on a big chain in the ground a turkey on a leash. And I did not know what to do. It was Louisiana. And I'm just, I'm just positing for poor people who are Jewish, second-class citizens, cannot get the best jobs, who live around the fishing area, because fish don't smell great, especially if your job is to process those fish. That's where Jesus went, to the place where there are turkeys on leashes. And he tells the sons of Zebedee and Simon, I'm going to get on your boat after they've been up all night and they got nothing to show for it. And being up all night's hard. And now Simon is just listening to Jesus. And Jesus is talking loudly because he's talking to the crowd that's on the shore. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's telling them what the kingdom of God is like. And he's telling them, you can't just take the law and just sort of apply it. It changes your heart. You have to follow me. He's going to tell them later, he's the bread of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't follow him, you don't find righteousness. And Peter's listening to Jesus who's doing miraculous things. And for whatever reason, he decided, sure, I'll take you on the water. Have you ever met a sea captain who for free will take you on the water so you can talk to people for a while? Never. Peter's a businessman. Something has gripped him today. And now he's on the water with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Simon, let's go out a little deeper. Throw it on your net. What does Simon say? What does Simon say? He's been up all night. We toiled all night. Toiled all night. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So he goes out and he throws a net. And suddenly, the boat jerks from the weight of the fish. And they start signaling to the other boat, get out here and help us. The word says, when they start bringing in the fish, the haul of fish is so many, the boats start to sink. Now, big fish can be very heavy. But the fish in this area are not huge. These are not like swordfish. So this is a lot of fish coming in. So many, the boat is sinking. And this is Peter's full livelihood, probably his life savings are in this boat. And the boat is sinking. And what does Peter do? He throws himself down 
on his knees at Jesus. He grabs Jesus' knees and he says, Master, Master. Peter's having a moment here. Understand when he does that, Jesus didn't leave the boat. And the fish are so big, so many in the boat, Peter is in the fish. The fish are everywhere. He's in the smell of it. He's in all of it. And he's grabbing Jesus' knees. And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. All the things that you talked about of the law, all the things that you said of people embracing the kingdom, it's not me. And Peter sees in this moment as he calls Jesus Lord and Master. You know, Lord means owner. See, Jesus owns the fish. And it's not just that Jesus calls out and says, hey, from the shore, go over there. The fish come to Jesus. That's what's happening in the story. And Peter throws himself down, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And it doesn't tell us this. It tells us that Peter leaves everything to follow him. But you can imagine Jesus saying, you're going to come with me now. And Peter says, I'll do whatever you say. He leaves his livelihood. He leaves his life savings. He leaves his family. He leaves all of it to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I will make you a fisher of men. You see, we don't fish men. Just like the fish, Jesus didn't stand on the shore and shout out. Just put down your nets. You're, do it. You're good. I don't want to touch the stinky fish. Instead, Jesus was in the boat and the fish came to him. In the same way, Peter is going to find out the people will come to Jesus. We spend too much time throwing nets in places where Jesus isn't at. Our job is not to just throw nets. Our job is to be fishers of people, to go into his harvest, to do what he said. The people will go where Jesus is. And where he is, there is the harvest. Turn your Bible with me, please. Back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14... Jesus has fed the 5,000, and then he tells the disciples that they're going to go across this very same sea, and that they need to go, and he'll be behind them, and they should depart. You know, the sea is like a four- to six-hour boat ride to get across. Um, these guys live on this sea. They're the lake people. They know the sea. They know what to do. And they go out, and it does not go well for them. Let's read Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pause for just a moment. This, this sea journey, four to six hours usual, these guys have been at it for maybe 12 to 18 hours. All night. They have been working to get across the, the, boat, the water. Now, this is the same sea, the Lake of Gennesaret, 
which is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place where Jesus has called these disciples. So Simon, James, and John are accomplished fishermen who know this water, who've lived on it. Their livelihood is on this particular body of water. It is easy for them to get across. They know what to do. But this storm has kicked up. It has thwarted all of their rowing. There's no wind. The wind's pushing them the wrong way. Everything is bad. They're straining all night to get to the other side. And in the middle of the night, Jesus decides he's going to come join the boat. And he walks on the same sea. This is the same sea where by his word, the fish will come to him. And he's walking across the water. And the disciples see him. And just like any of us, they're terrified. And what do they think? It's God. It's a ghost. We're going to die out here. We're going to die out here. And then he comes closer and he says, don't be afraid. It's me. And they see that it's Jesus. Let's go on. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out, of, got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly I say to you, you are the Son of God. John's account tells us that as soon as he got in the boat, they find they're on the other side. They're only halfway across. Suddenly, they make it because Jesus is with them. How amazing. These guys are fishermen. You know what I've pondered for this for a long time? Why did Peter get out of the boat? I mean, I, I get it that he wanted to walk with Jesus. That's cool. But no sane person is like, hey, you're walking on water. I want to try it. Let me just get, I'm going to try it. Can I come? If it's you, call me. I'll come to you. Why do you think Peter walks on the water. And suddenly it occurred to me as I'm reading this, Jesus commands all the fish to him. Peter is walking in the water because he has to be with Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's water. It doesn't matter if it's the boat. It doesn't matter what the wind is doing. It doesn't matter what's happening. Peter is compelled to be with Jesus, to be where he is. If it's you, Lord, just call me and I'll come to you because that's where I'm safe. Instead of, will you get in the boat with us, Lord? And I have found myself, I'll be honest with you, praying many times, Lord, get in the boat with me. Lord, if you just show up where I am, then I'll be okay. But that's not what God shows us. The true faith. Peter, oh, you of little faith, Jesus says, he walked, he walked on the water. And Jesus says he has little faith. Wh what? But the reality here is we've got to be where Jesus is. The call of the disciple is to come be with him. And that's what Peter displays to us. That's what we see in the story. This is Peter's home water. And he remembers being on this water with Jesus, knee deep in fish, holding on to Jesus' knees and saying, Lord, depart from me, I'm sinful. And now seeing Jesus on the water and fearing for his life, he says, Lord, if I can just hold on to your knees again, I'll be okay. What are our prayers like? Do we find ourselves maybe like me? Praying when we're frustrated, praying when the work isn't going well, when the toil is high, when it feels like we've been all night 
toiling at the nets, nothing to show for it. We're frustrated. It's two in the morning. We're tired. Nothing is going well. What comes out of us? And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times what comes out of me is selfishness. I want Jesus to show up where I am. I want to watch a fun show. I want to laugh at the comedy. I want to relax. I want to feel like I can just chill out for a minute. And Lord, I need you to meet me in that. And instead, I'm telling you from the Bible, God calls us to get out of the boat, to walk to where he is. And the fruitfulness of what he has for us is where he is. I think a lot of us are experiencing the toil because we're not actually working where he is. We're working where we want to be. And what we need to do is change our mindset and say, Lord, where you are, if it's you, call me to you. And I'll come hold on to your knees. And that's the example that we really have of what discipleship looks like. Here's the thing that we need to know today. You need to know that Jesus Christ is the master, the owner, the Lord, the controller, the creator, the sovereign, the king of everything. You need to know that. He's the king of the fish. He's the king of the waves. He's the king of the ocean. He's the king of the sea. He's the king of you and me. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. He's it. He's the king. And we need to know that because sometimes we get so wrapped up in the toil that we forget that he's the owner. Not just of the toil, not just of the business, but of our attitude too. He owns us. Not only that, but this owner is so great. He's so kind and so generous that he willingly gave up his life for us that he would die on the cross for those who are sinful people who have no portion in him and that he would take instead all the wrath that was due us so that we can have his portion and the righteousness of God. Our king is so great. He's so good. He's so perfect. And he is our owner. He is our ruler. We need to know he's the ruler. And we need to know that deep down that when he bought us on the cross, he already owned us before that too anyway. But he purchased us by his blood and we are his. That affects how we live. If we know that he's the master, he's the Lord, he's the controller, why do we try to go anywhere else? And I'll confess to you, it's easy, isn't it? I'm being honest with you because in those times, especially when we're tired, stuff comes out of us. And sometimes we're surprised to see what it is. And I'm telling you, it's easy for selfishness to come out of us. Do we run to Jesus or do we go other ways? If we know that he's the master, if we know that he's the king, it changes our lives because it changes our orientation to all of life. And instead of just getting through the work week and then coming to church and getting rejuvenated, we take everything we are, everything we have, all of our work, all of our everything to Jesus and say, Lord, where you are, that's where I need to be. If I can just hold on to your knees, God, I will know rest in you. And instead of feeling like I got to watch a comedy to feel better, if I can just be in your presence, then I'll know. But the real thing here is we keep asking him to come to us when he's standing right there. We got to come to him. How do we do that? If we know that he's the creator and he's the Lord and he's the sovereign, and that affects our lives because it means that we always come to him, how do we do that? We do that by stepping out of faith. And we do that by saying, Lord, if it's you, call me and I'll come to you. 
We do that by coming to him when we're at our tired moments, when we're toiling and when it's two in the morning, we feel like nothing is happening. We don't just open the word randomly, but we come and say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I seek your face. We do it by prayer and by fasting. We do it by aligning our hearts with what he cares about more than what we care about. And it changes our prayers. It changes our prayers from saying, Lord, give me the status. Give me the promotion. Give me the things that I need to Lord, what can I do for you? Lord, what are you about? Lord, how are you meeting my needs? Why did you give me that thing? Lord, I have this dream, this desire in my heart. What am I supposed to do with it? Lord, I see you at work. Father, help me. I want to say the right thing. And we come quickly to repentance and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me because I failed. Forgive me because I was selfish. Forgive me because I did these things. Because when I see your glory, when I see the great rule of your kingdom, I can't help but say, Lord, you alone are my life. Forgive me, God. I want to walk your way. And when we do that, suddenly we're, all we're doing is realigning ourselves to what he cares about. And isn't it funny that as image bearers, we get to rule. Image bearers were made to rule, you know. Yet sometimes when we rule, we do it how we want to do it instead of what he wants. But if we align ourselves as servants and say, instead and say, Lord, you put me in this work with this boss that just drives me insane. What am I supposed to do with that? Lord, I'm supposed to have lunch again with that guy. He's so weird. What am I supposed to do with that? Lord, again, again with this situation, I thought we dealt with this 30 times. And all these situation opportunities, God's giving us moments where he says, I'm bringing people to myself. Come be where I am. And God uses difficulty and struggle and hardship and crazy interpersonal things where suddenly the law comes out of us of his kingdom and we see it embraced from the heart and it changes everything. Did you know that a kind word diffuses anger? Have you ever been in one of those meetings where people are getting angry? Just work stuff, right? Work stuff is weird sometimes. Have you ever been in a fast food restaurant where things are going really bad and it's like the customers are one-upping each other and how they can yell at people? And then you step in and just say, hey, Lord's with us. Let's, I'm going to pray for us right now. I, I'm telling you right now, they're either going to punch you in the face or there's going to be revival in that place. Straight up. But why don't we do that? We do that because we say, oh, Lord, Lord, uh, Lord, I, if you just, can I, will you just get me out of this Hardee's and put me in Chick-fil-A? That's what we do. Chick-fil-A never has those problems. Hardee's always has those problems. I don't know why, but they do. And instead, the Lord says, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Where is Jesus? Did you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that everywhere you put your foot, the Lord goes with you? And many times, we feel like he's so far away. And the reality is he puts you at Hardee's in this moment to represent his kingdom. Why? Because you're a fisherman of men. You're a fisherwoman of men. God's bringing people to himself. And he's using you, your attitude, your language, your testimony to change people. Isn't that good news? So what do we do? Come to Jesus first. Repent quickly. And then do whatever he calls you to. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Will you stand? Thank you, Lord, that you're good. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we look to you for everything. Lord, thank you, God, that you, oh, oh Lord, you didn't just leave Peter on the shore. You just tell him what to do. Lord, you're with him. Well, thank you that you're with us. 
Lord, we confess to you that many times we want you to come to us in the boat. Many times we want you to do things our way. Lord, realign our hearts. Help us to be quick to repent. Help us to be quick to come to you. Lord, what portion do we have but you? You are the owner of all things. Lord, we confess to you that many times we worry about staffing. We worry about schedules. We worry about money. We worry about bills. We worry about interpersonal things. We worry about those things more than we look to you in your kingdom. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we bring you right now all of the things with our work. Lord, all of the interpersonal things, all the money things, all of it. Let's just take, take 30 seconds right now. You just tell the Lord. He can hear all of us at once. You don't have to say it out loud. Just in your heart, just speak to him. Bring all of it. Bring the toil of the night with no fish. Put it on his feet. Say, Lord, use me. Use me for your glory in all these situations. Lord, I don't have the answers, but you own everything. You're the owner. Lord, I look to you. He hears our prayers. Lord, when we look back at our lives, Lord, we don't want to just see one or two fish. We don't want to see no fish. We want our boats sinking for you. So, Lord, we put the money, the schedules, the people, the stuff. Lord, you know everything we're going to pray before we pray it. You know our anxieties. We put it all at your feet. Lord, you care for us. You're the owner. Owner, we look to you. Lord, help us. We want to flourish for you. Lord, we want to have money to do good things and bless people. We want to, we want to not just eke by. And Lord, also, we want to do something great for you. We want to be fishers of people. We want to see them brought into your kingdom and grow. Lord, we want to have a heart like you. Lord, we want to care about the things you care about. We want to see the lavishness, the abundance of your kingdom and not get prideful. We want to walk in humility. We want to see you. We want to glorify you with everything we do. Lord, everywhere we put our foot, we want to see your kingdom come. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, if it's you, call us and we'll walk to you. Lord, if we can just hold on to your knees, we'll be so happy. And Lord, we confess to you, sometimes we look at the wind and the waves and we start to sink. Help us, Lord. Help us. And we know that you're with us and you are moving us forward because your victory was won on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers today. Hallelujah. May you know the call of the Father. May you know the rule of the Son. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit. As he uses you, you are a fisher person of men for Jesus. May your businesses be blessed. May your homes be blessed. May your checkbooks be blessed. May your debit cards be blessed. May your attitude be blessed. May the business that you do be blessed. May your tipping for servers be blessed. May your, the way you treat staff at anywhere you go be blessed. May the way you talk about people around the, the water coolers be blessed. May your lunches be blessed. May your business breakfast be blessed. May your helping kids with their homework be blessed. May your changing diapers be blessed. 
May your toil be blessed for Jesus because he's worthy. He sees you. He hears your prayers. Lord, it's our heart to glorify you. Be blessed this week and know that he is with you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Blessings to you all.